The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal. We have had so many greats on this podcast. Hopefully you are all subscribed and ready to go. Of course, my name is Joe Costello, and once again, we are joined by the Director of Technical Sales over there at Total Seal Piston Rings, Mr. Keith Jones. Keith, welcome back. Another episode. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Joe. Uh, Hopefully everything's going well in Florida and all of your listeners, our listeners out there are safe and, and, you know, trying to do some things at home and, and, you know, getting through these times, these new times uh, that we have to deal with today. And And again, as I said, I hope everybody out there is safe couple of great episodes in the archive. Lake Speed Jr., just legend after legend after legend. And if you're an aspiring engine builder, a DIY engine builder, or someone who works in a big-time race shop who just wants to keep up with this world, Hidden Horsepower is the place to be. And on this episode, we're going to keep the momentum going with a genuine legend of just about all forms of motorsport, the old master himself, Mr. Ed Pink, will be joining us just seconds from now. Keith, just talk a little bit about it. I, as a drag racing fan, know the logo, know the name, know the relationships, know the rivalry, but uh, Ed Pink has been doing it for a long time at the highest of levels. Absolutely. I mean, how how can you not respect Ed? I mean, everything he's done, all the accomplishments, all the accolades, you know, for some of the younger listeners out there that may not, you know, they know the name, but they don't know the name. You, you need to Google it and see the things that this man's done. Uh, it'll, it'll stand your hair on end. Uh, I know Ed, you know, of course, you know, from, as mentioned before, from the Chicago area originally and hanging out at Arnie Beswick's shop and, you know, know Ed, you know, for, you know, the drag racing days, you know, the think pink, the elephant, uh, you know, that Hemi. Uh, but then it goes so far beyond that, you know, into, you know, NASCAR and midget engines, dirt. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's just, like I say, what a, what a storied career. And, and the one thing that I always have to say, and, and I'd mentioned this earlier before we started talking, I said to Joe, you know, Ed's been doing this forever. And yet we get on the phone and to this day still, what's new? What can we do better? How can we make it better? Even if he's working on an old flathead, you know, what can we do to get the ring dragged down? What can we do to improve the ring seal? Uh, and that just, that just speaks volumes about it. That, that, I hate to say it, that's all you need to know because there's a lot more. But, you know, at a guy that's done everything he's done, he's still looking to make it better. Cannot wait. Also, a Korean War veteran. That tells you he also served his country in addition to chasing his dreams. And now let's bring him on, the legend himself, Mr. Ed Pink on Hidden Horsepower. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Oh, we are thrilled to have you on. And drag racing, of course, near and dear to our hearts. But your career, just from dry lakes to midgets to sports cars to drag racing, you've had a couple of different runs in different styles of racing. Your longevity, you've been able to stay interested, stay relevant, stay working uh, for all this time. What is the reason that the mechanical engine has attracted you so much that you made a life out of it? Well, probably the biggest reason would be that I never stuck with one thing. You know, originally uh, in the 40s, I started with dry lakes and then Bonneville and then drag racing and then Indy cars. And then uh, midgets, sprint car, silver crown, off-road racing, the boats, uh, the the, uh, drifting. And each one kept my juices rejuvenated. So I I never got bored. If I would have stayed in drag racing only, I'd have been gone a long time ago. But being that... I got to go into all these different uh, venues of racing. It, it it just kept me vitalized all the time. You know, I love the engines. I love the people I 
uh, did the work for, and uh, every, every challenge was a new challenge, and that's what kept me going now, to Keith, this day. Keith just mentioned that you are always willing and looking for the new way, the new technology, the hot thing. Not everybody is like that. A lot of people fall into, a, this works, it's working for me, I'm going to stay with it. Where does that curiosity come from? Probably, I guess, thinking about it, uh, you know, I never thought about it until right now. It's just a matter of what makes me tick, what, you know, what I go by. Uh, I would say that I always wanted to be on top. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to build the, the best engines, the most powerful engines. I wanted to have the reputation of the engines would live. And uh, uh, to do that, you had to have the latest technology, the latest uh, parts, and the latest methods of doing things. And, uh, you know, I always kept my ear open, and I always was looking for the next thing. I got this. It's working really good. What can I get? How can I do it better? Now, Keith, Ed is an L.A. story as well, and we were marveling at just a, a couple of elements of your life, Ed. And, you know, I'm going to mention a couple. Just being in the epicenter of the speed movement when you mentioned, you know, the, the Dry Lakes and, uh, and Bonneville and, you know, when drag racing emerged, being in a shop with some of the legends like renting space as you're just getting started, like all of that is incredibly interesting, like that region where the energy was, TV Tommy, one of your uh, first clients, all very interesting. But to me, the idea that your uncle is the founder of Pink's Hot Dogs, that just sells it. That's as L.A. as it gets. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. You know, and my uncle uh, was, my da- was my dad's brother, and uh, he was a real character. And uh, he originally, he was an accountant. And uh, he just didn't like being an accountant. He wanted to do something else. And my aunt, his wife, had a floor shop where she, they sold flowers. And he wanted to do something else, so he decided that he was going to get himself a little stand and sell hot dogs. And he started out in 1938 with a little push cart on Melrose and Labrie in that area uh, selling hot dogs for a push cart. And he's, he was a real character, and people liked him, and they bought his hot dogs, and he saved his money, and pretty soon he put up an actual little hot dog stand in the corner. And it just grew and grew and grew, and he was very diligent in doing business, and, and like I say, everybody liked him. He was a real character. And it got to the point where uh, he had this big hot dog stand on the corner of Melrose La Brea and he ended up owning that whole corner which I mean today that's crazy the way things are I mean the corner of Melrose La Brea he owned it all and uh, to this day the hot dog stand is still going his his daughter Beverly and son Richard and Richard's wife uh, uh are running the hot dog stand. And I mean, it is the, one of these uh, places in Los Angeles that you, you go to. It's a tourist attraction for people around the world. And, and uh, Keith and I were talking about it. I have stood in the line. I've enjoyed the Pink's hot dogs. Of course, uh, they do have a concession that comes out to the, the Winter Nationals and Finals at Pomona. And you can have a Pink's hot dog out at the racetrack, which is even better uh, because you, the line isn't right. quite as long. But uh, just amazing. Now, Keith, dive in here because it's your job to be the cutting edge of technology. And uh, here you have Ed, who has worked on just about everything, has designed engines from scratch, has worked with uh, nitromethane, has designed midget engines, IndyCar engines, etc. And so his uh, experience is so vast. When you guys have a conversation or when things, uh, you know, you're, you're bouncing around like what's going to work, where does a conversation like that start, Keith? It, well, it, it generally started right off with Ed telling me what he's working on. Hey, I got one of these and... This is what it's got, and what can we do better? And 
And, and honestly, that's how the conversation kind of started with Ed and I in the very first place. The first time I met Ed, uh, there was a pretty neat race they used to put on here in Phoenix, and I, and I miss it dearly. Uh, it was called the Copper Classic. And the Copper would have Indy cars. You could have you know, the, the Northeast Big Block Modified. You'd have Southwest Tour. Uh, you'd have Silver Crown cars. You had just this really neat mix of different things. It was something for everybody uh, at that race, and unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, I was there. It was my early days of working at Total Seal, and I'm walking through the pits, and and there's Ed working on. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a Ford, you know, uh, midget engine. Uh, and we just got talking, you know, in the pits, and you know what, you know, what do you have? What can you do? And that's where it started because at the time you were pretty much limited to you know whatever you could buy for a shelf set of rings, you know, whether it be Speed Pro or whoever at the time. And it's like, well, I think we could do this, and I think we could do that. And it, it was just that that energy between us, that synergy of, of bouncing ideas back and forth. What do you think? Can we do this? Can we make it thinner? Can we make it smaller? What about coatings? Is there a better coating? Is there something that would last longer? We just, you know, you, we start asking. He's asking questions. I'm answering questions. I'm bouncing questions by him. He gives me his feedback, and we eventually drill down to what we both kind of agree, I think this would be pretty cool. Let's make this, let's try this. And Ed, I, I don't think there was one time that we came up with something that Ed didn't go, yeah, let's do that, let's try that. It wasn't like, nah, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to No, he was always, always open to, you know, let's give it a try. And, and that's how our relationship's always been. And then once he tried that and he liked it, it was that good enough? Oh, heck no. He'd let that run for a couple months, but then we got to do better. <laughs> Always the case. <laughs> yeah, no, that pretty much is up, you know. Cause, you know, every time I see Keith at one of the automotive shows, I always, the first thing, I, after I say hi to him and so we shake hands, I always say, what's new? Every time. <laughs> what's new in the ring department? Uh, you know, I'm always trying to make my engines better. And uh, it pretty well starts with the piston ring. You know, that's, that's essential. The piston is another uh, part that's essential to that. Uh, then you get into camshafts and, and so forth throughout the engine. But uh, uh, rings was a big deal to me. And, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to have the very best and I wanted to have the latest. I, I didn't want to have in my engine one type of ring when there's something else out there that Total Seal is making it that would be better. I had to have that. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely Ed. It, it was, uh, like I say, not to keep going back to it, but always, you know, like you say, he, you know, Ed's an optimizer. He's looking for, you know, like he said, you know, once he plays with the camshaft, he's going to nail down that camshaft. And I'm sure he's after the cam guys, too. But as Ed said, every time he comes to the show, to this day, to the you know, last time I saw him at the show, what do you got that's new? And we're looking at, you know, total conform rings and gas-ported top rings, and how do we bring that technology into whatever his latest project is? And that that constant push, and it's a, you know, it was a big part of it. And then all the way into cylinder honing, we spent so many hours talking about, yeah. you know, getting the cylinders right and what can we do to optimize that part of it? Because as Ed said, it's all got to work together. So you know, it's optimizing all those pieces to keep, you know, bringing his stuff to the forefront and making it better. Yeah, very true. Ed, when did you realize that? Uh, we've, we've been doing this podcast now. We've had a lot of engine builders, legends, uh, you know, come on board. You have had the longest arc of experience, born in 1931 and seen maybe the most technology change initially. You know, you're dealing with factory parts as best as you could make them, pulling them out of junkyards and all. So some of the things that we know now were not even possible to know. You couldn't even have measured a lot of these things. But there had to be some times in your early uh, beginning of, of engine building, uh, and I know Vic Edelbrock, and Edelbrock was a big part of your career that uh, you were able to kind of get in with them, and there was some mentoring going on. But the understanding that if you don't have the seal, the other stuff doesn't matter as much. When did you realize that? When I met Keith Jones. <laughs> that can't <laughs> be. That was well. Not... Thank you, Ed. <laughs> well, that's the truth. In the early days, you run what was available. You used what was available, and you made it work. There weren't any 
speed shops per se, equipment places like there are today. So much of the stuff you had to make yourself or have somebody make it for you. The engine builder today has got it made compared to when I started because now if he gets involved with the right people, he can get the right piston rings when you deal with total seal. And with the piston companies out there, you can get the right pistons and the right connecting rods and the right crankshaft. Where back when I started, none of that was available. There were all kinds of rings available, but uh, they were just standard piston rings. And so you would try to pick the one that you felt would work the best. And uh, when uh, Total Seal came into the business, they kind of rewrote the book on piston rings, I think. Wow. And, well, go ahead. And there's other companies that made other parts for the engines that pretty much kind of did the same thing. But with... uh, with Total Seal, when they came into the business, or when I when I was aware of them, it, it opened up a whole new thing, as far as piston and ring seal. Yeah, and I and I appreciate those kind words so much, Ed. Uh, yeah, we we've really tried hard to, you know, to not be the same as everybody else, and that's been you know kind of the goal since I've been here, and I think kind of the goal since. Joe started the company in 67 was to not be like everybody else and not just offer what everybody else has. And, and the real important part is to listen. Uh, yeah, I've said this before. When I first started here, uh, one of the first calls I made was to, was to Warren Johnson and asking Warren, you know, what are you using now and what don't you like about it? And, you know, and listening to that response. And it's the same thing, you know, with Ed, you know, what, what do you have now? And, you know, I've got this ring pack and, you know, what would you like it to do better and talking about that and then, you know, seeing what we can do to make that happen. You know, whether it be, you know, the diamond finish process or really tightening the tolerances up or the gapless process. You know, we offer a lot of variations on everything and then even combinations of those variations. Uh, but listening, you know, but listening to what the person wants and what we think it'll take to get them there. And that's, you know, and again, that that just speaks volumes. Uh, to Ed and his willingness, you know, to to reach out and and try different things because there are a lot of guys out there that you know good enough is good enough. You know, ah, now nah, that's what we ran back in the day, and you know they were always good enough. And you know, we'll say that you know they're not the guys that are on this podcast right now. And there's a reason you know that Ed's here, and it's because he is you know always been willing to you know to if not as he said get the best part out there, make the best part out there. If he couldn't get it. He he made it. That's you know that's that's the innovation. No, that's very true. When we get a legend such as yourself on this show, it's always a little challenging because the stories that you have, I'm sure you've you've interacted with, you've been around, you've watched the greatest characters in American motorsport firsthand, the people you've hung out with, and then there's the cars and the sheer variety of cars just in terms of manufacturers like just off the uh, the top including you know the drag racing cars and the coupes back in the day but going into indy cars sports cars uh you know porsche buicks at the indy cars uh, irl development for nissan ford toyota with midgets you have been able to lay your hands and work on and design for all the great manufacturers. And so it's challenging for Keith and I, like I would love to just sit back and pepper you with questions about stories about, you know, Shirley Muldowney and that kind of stuff. But the designing engines for Nissan, the designing engines for Toyota and Ford working with uh, Indy cars and that Buick program, those things I'm sure are very interesting to our listeners as well. So let me ask you this way. Uh, when you think back at these projects, like the characters versus the cars, the engines versus the people, what sticks out in your mind? Like, what would you like to share with us? Because we think it's going to be great. You know, you know it, yeah, I've dealt with a lot of characters. But I guess that's that's one of the things that, uh, that uh, keeps me vitalized. You know, I've been involved with A.J. Foyt and Al Unzer Sr. and Bobby Unzer and Ari Leyendijk in the Indy cars and in drag racing, 
is Don Perdome and uh, uh, Tom McEwen and Richard Tharp, Ed McCullough, you know, and the midgets. I had Tony Stewart. God, there's so many great guys that I was privileged to uh, to work with and work for. You know, I, I, I tell you a funny story. You know, every, every racing series that I was involved with had their moments. And I can remember one time at the Speedway when this particular car and driver, they were out and they were, they were making laps and the driver came to me and said, you know, he says, it doesn't feel like it's really pulling off the corner. He says, I don't want to knock your engine, but he says, it, it's just not accelerating off the corner. And that's a big thing with those cars. They, they got to come off the corner to go fast down the straightaway. So I, that night when qualifying was over for the day, I got with the chief mechanic and said, I wanted to check the engine over. And he said, fine, go ahead. And they were working on the car. And I mean, I had, I almost had the engine apart. And this is a Cosworth DFX turbocharged engine. And, uh, and I found nothing wrong. And pretty soon the chief mechanic came over to me and, and told me, he says, uh, did you find anything wrong engine wise? And I says, no, I really didn't. And he says, I'm not surprised. He says, we found some things with the car. And I said, oh, great. And in those days, when the chief mechanic would work on the car, most of the time they didn't get into detail with the driver, what they were doing. The driver would come back from a couple laps and tell them what he feels and the, car, the mechanic chief would work on the car and make changes and so forth. But they didn't go into great detail. Well, I did this and I did that. They, they, kind of that was not discussed. So the next day they go out on the track and the car is blistering fast. And the driver came to me and put his arm around my shoulders and says, Ed, he said, I don't know what you did to that engine last night, but boy, it's really fast. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's some of the stuff that went on. I can tell you another thing that happened in drag racing with Don Perdome. We were at uh, Ontario Motor Speedway when they used to have the, I think it was the Super Nationals there. And he went down on a, on a qualifying run, and uh, as he's going down the racetrack, I heard him shut off. And when they got the car back to the pits, I went over to Snake and I said, "Why did that, that look like a pretty good run? Why did you shut off?" And he says, uh, "There's something wrong." He says. When I got to about halfway track, the RPM started coming up more than I think it should. Now, that's a pretty good set of ears because those things are accelerating so fast that how he could hear or feel the RPM starting to come up when it really shouldn't, or they got everything apart and it's what it had done. It had, this is back in the three, this is before the Crowder Glides, this is, was a regular clutch. And it had a three disc clutch in it and the hub in the center disc, it sheared all the ribbons. And it was only working on two discs. And that, I can remember that today and that, that happened, I hate to think how many years ago, but he actually, I mean, it sheared the hub in the center disc which released some of the holding power of the clutch. And he felt the RPM go up and shut the engine off. Wow. And to me, that's amazing. One of our greats. And uh, there is yeah. more evidence to it. And the fact that you got to see him, like let's just talk Snake for a second, through his whole his whole run. You were the old master. What did you think about being the old master in your 30s, by the way? That tells you about the sport, though, is that it was a bunch of young guys out there living it. Yeah. they. The, I don't remember which one of the uh, journalists of the papers and magazines at the time na named me that. But I think when I got that uh, name hooked on me, I think I was probably uh, – 
I'm 35 years old. Yeah, it's too young to be called yeah. the old anything. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't look at it bad because it, to me it was good just to be called something rather than ignored. Right. You know. You were on the map. Keith? Like, you know, you're talking about drag racing and, you know, and Snake, you know, feeling that RPM come up just, you know, speaks volumes about just that seat of the pants. I mean, he clicked it off. Yeah. Not only did he save the engine, but he could have been saving his own legs. I mean, if that clutch would have exploded, we know what, you know, we all, we yeah. all know what that was like. I mean, just to feel that little difference. But for Ed to be, you know, again, to, to be involved with all the different things that you've been involved with from, you know, IndyCar and the Cosworth Turbo days and, you know, into Midget, is there... Uh, the question I have, is there any one of those that was, you know, really your favorite, or were they all as challenging? Was there one you enjoyed more than the other? No, my favorite was always the one that won. That <laughs> I love one. that. <laughs> yeah, but the engine project that we did, it was the hardest of any one we've done, was the Infinity IRL engine, because it was underfunded. Somehow or other, uh, it, Nissan Infinity got fed a bunch of bull that, that you know, what it was going to cost to do it. And uh, and they went with it, and uh, they came to me to ask me if I would take the project on, which meant it was developing a, a complete engine, and uh, which we did. And we were lucky we won one race, uh, which is amazing because, I mean, the thing was underfunded. I mean, uh, so much of it was done with smoke and mirrors. You know, we, uh, yeah, I, I look back at that and kind of shake my head that uh, that we were able to accomplish what we did. I, I had uh, 30 people working for me. I have an engi- had an engineer. And... Uh, we we had to do the whole thing, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was the toughest one that I think that I'd ever done. Uh, I've had some I've had some engine uh, programs that I did that were really really good. Uh, when we did the uh, Toyota midget engine, uh, I went down to uh, TRD. And uh, I had my engineer with me, and we sat in a meeting. They had three or four engineers, and the fellow that uh, is in charge of the uh, Toyota's racing program, period. In fact, I think he's retired now. His name was Lee White. And uh, we had this meeting, and he brought out a valve cover and a cylinder head. He says, this is what we have to bring to the party, you need to do everything else. And we we uh, took the program on. The best part, there was no, the budget didn't have a, a topping to it. Whatever it took, this is what we got to do. And uh, from the day we started on that project, and that was designing the block, the valve train, crankshaft, rods, pistons, dry sump system, everything. From the day we started, the day it ran the first time was nine months. And uh, the first race we ran was at the Copper Classic in Phoenix on the mile. And the, the uh, car with that engine uh, set quick time and won the race. So that would probably be the one of the best ones we've done. And that was uh, in 2006. And today in 2020, that engine is still the engine to beat in the midget deal. That is the, the, the engine, which is amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. On the engine development angle, Ed, uh, you know, that's uh, so beyond my understanding, but I like to think about it. When you design an engine, what are the parameters that go into deciding what it's going to be? You know, bore versus stroke versus this versus that. Is it the application where the power needs to come in? What, uh, you know, what elements do you consider when you're doing a clean sheet design like that? Well, 
uh, with the say with the midget, what first thing we need to do is find out <clears throat> from the rules maker of the, of the association what the limits are, what you can do and what you can't do. And then the next thing is you're going to find out what parameters the engine has got to run at. A midget engine, I would say, of the uh, series similar to that are like that sprint cars and silver crown and, and especially midget is the fact that 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 engine has to make good power or good torque from about 3,000 to 9,000 where you know a lot of series like the IndyCar uh, that engine runs in about a 400 rpm span or the, the midget you know, they get down down to 3,000 RPM. So uh, it, it, the, uh, the Borg has a lot to do with it and the stroke. So all those variables that come into it to figure out exactly what bore you, you should have, what stroke you should have, what length rod, uh, compression ratio, uh, what you need in the way of camshaft. And, and there's, you go through a development program, you know, you you pick out to start with, and I guess that comes from just experience, uh, where, you, where you start, because, you know, we weren't blessed with having a whole computer system set up where we can do all the analysis and everything on a computer like, you, you know, big budget teams have, because then they, you'll know, have three or four or five different engineers with different uh, uh, programs, software in their computers, figuring out all of that, bore stroke, rod length, and so forth. You know, I didn't have the luxury of having that. I had to kind of go by what I felt, what, what I, through my experience, what was good to start with. And uh, then we'd get on the dyno and we'd run the engine and we'd find out just how good I was or how much I missed it. And, and we make the changes. Keith? And, well, well, I've got to say, you know, as far as that midget engine goes, uh, you know, the piece that you landed on uh, is absolutely stupendous, Ed. And, but one of the parameters that I think you had when you designed that was that somebody in the engine shop had to have – little tiny, like little 10-year-old baby fingers, because you people stuck some head bolts and studs in place. I'm like, how in the heck do you even get to that? <laughs> and and you know what I'm talking about, because there's, there's some fasteners in some places. I have no idea how you got that in there. <laughs> I guess the best way to explain it is, is, is there certain pieces that go in first, and if you don't get those in first, it's really a tough, bolting stuff together so uh, <laughs> I, I never really looked at it that way I mean it it wasn't that hard to work on you know it uh there were engines that I've worked on that much like the Porsche when we got that program for Jim Busby I mean that that was that was a tough program but it it worked out really good because at the time uh when I first met Jim Busby he was drag racing and we uh we did drag race engines for him and he and i became good friends and uh then later on when he uh got out of drag racing and he went into sports car racing he ran a uh an open wheel car that was similar to a formula 5000 car which was called formula a and uh we built engines for him for that and then when he left that he went into Porsches, and uh, he, he and he ran the 962 Porsche, which is a really a fabulous car. And one day he calls me on the phone, and he says, uh, "I want to come out and have lunch with you tomorrow. I got a, something I want to talk to you about." And I said, "Okay." And he came out. We had lunch, and he said, uh, "I want you to take over my 962 engine project." And I said, "What?" 
and he says, I want you to take over my 962 engine project. And I says, Jim, I've never worked on a Porsche in my life before. I, you know, I know what the engine looks like from the outside, but I've never seen the inside of one or anything like it. And he says to me, well, you forget how to build an engine? <laughs> and I said, well, it's a little different than that. He says, well, he says, I want you to do them. And I said, okay. And I said, but, you know, I need to learn about it. He says, uh, at that time, his uh, he had a big sponsorship with B. A Goodrich Tire Company. And he says, uh, we're going to send you to uh, Germany, to Weissach, to uh, Porsche's R&D Center for two weeks. And you're going to go to school and learn how to do them. So I went to uh, Weissach in Germany, which is their R&D center. And it took a couple of days for the mechanics there to realize that I wasn't there for the overthrow of the German government or over there <laughs> to try to take Porsche over or anything like that, that I was a, a real guy trying to learn the engines. And then everything went fine. I worked there two weeks and uh, worked right alongside the uh, German engine builders and watched them run them on a dyno. And then I came home and I showed my guys how to do the Porsche engines. And uh, we took that engine project over. And at the time, uh, of course, you got to understand one thing. At, at that time in the uh, class that these cars run at, which is uh, the top top of the line class with the uh, production, not production, but the race car Porsche cars. Uh, Porsche's not racing anybody else. They're only racing themselves. So they they didn't uh, run the engine at full tilt. Where with Busby, he wanted to have the fastest Porsche out there. And he wanted to beat everybody, especially the Porsche sponsored cars. So when we first started that project, the engine is made uh, about 675 horsepower. And this is a six cylinder air cooled opposed uh, cylinders, turbocharged on gasoline, which is something that I had never worked on. I worked on turbocharged cars, but never an air cooled car and never turbocharged on gasoline, air-cooled, all those combinations together. And uh, we worked on that project, and uh, and Jim gave us a full go-ahead to do an R&D program on the engines to try to make more power. And uh, when we got done with the project, the engines made right at 850 horsepower, and they were the fastest Porsches out there. He had good good drivers driving them. Uh, Bob Wallach, who unfortunately is not with us anymore, but and Mauro Baldi, these were really top drivers, and, uh, and that was great experience. You know, uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Learned a lot, and uh, you know, in each each engine program you do. There's always things from the last one you did that kind of spill into the one you're doing that there's things you can take into it. You don't have to learn a whole new deal. There's plenty of things from the last project you did that that can go into that project, too. Uh, again, I appreciate that so much and, and just telling those stories, because that's all stuff. I knew you were involved, but I didn't know you raised the power level that much, and that's just yeah. – uh, amazing. Um, is that part of what I know towards, let's say that, you know, towards the days of, you know, at, at Ed Pink Racing Engines, you know, after you, you know, sold and then began to retire, uh, the shop's really kind of taken on a lot of this, you know, historic and vintage race car stuff. Is that what, you know, kind of preceded that? Were you kind of steering it into doing those things? Because that is, uh, I'll tell you, when you guys would call me and talk to me about the different projects and the different cars and the you know, the history of what was coming through your shop. 
uh, it, it just it blew my it blew me away, you know, you know, because you guys get on, you know, oh that's this car and it won this race and it won that race and you know this legend drove it and that legend drove it and uh, I was just always fascinated by that. I thought that was you know extremely interesting and, and and very very cool. Again, we could talk about it for hours, but is that is that kind of what led the direction of the shop was it was working on those cars? Yes, yes, and it, it got down to the point like in the IndyCar thing, uh, it got down to when. Elmore came into the program uh, building engines for Indianapolis cars. Uh, so now you've got Cosworth and Elmore, and they didn't want their information to leak out. So now they came, it went into leased engines. And people like myself that had an independent engine shop, we found ourselves not being able to do them anymore because none of the teams owned the engines. And, mm. and the reason for is Elmore didn't want their stuff out in the public for somebody else to see what they're doing, and the cars were the same way. So as uh, race things happened, and these you got you you look for new new agendas, new things to do, and being uh, the, the, my shop, we had done so many different engines. It was natural that a lot of the uh, vintage people came to us with engines. Like right now, the the shop is doing all the Singer Porsche engines, and that's a company that re, that takes the uh, I think eighty nine. There's a, about two or three years that they do where they do a complete remanufacture of the car, and then. My my old company has this, the project to do the engines, and they're beautiful cars. I mean, that's they call it the Porsche reimagined. Yep, incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's kind of what it led to, and uh, and then after I left, you know, I was bored to death, which we started to talk about earlier today. I, you know, I was bored to death. You know, I needed something to do because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I love the engines. I like the, love the people that that you're you're involved with because they're all characters. Everyone's a different personality and character, and uh, so I had some people call me uh, that used to race professionally that now are retired, and they're doing vintage stuff. And, or they're building a classic car or a hot rod. And they said, and I had them call me and say, well, I'm doing this car and I need this engine. Would you do this engine for me? And I figured, yeah, I have a hard time saying no. It's a big, one of my <laughs> biggest problems. So, so now I have a little shop. We built uh, a couple Ford flatheads for people. And we've done uh, the 427 single red cam engine that we did back in the drag race days for Lou Baney's dragster that Perdome drove that won a lot of races. So that's what we're doing now. <laughs> wow. So retirement has not been the uh, kick your feet up on the on the couch and uh, watch TV that so many other people do, and, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, we could, Ed, we could speak with you for uh, hours upon hours, obviously. You have so many great stories, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, as we get to the end of A Hidden Horsepower, though, there's a couple of things that I always like to do. First of all, I like to ask about something that didn't work because you know, we encourage people to try. And it's not always going to work. And, uh, you know, you can't forge new ground or, or invent something new without some failures along the way. I wonder, is there any uh, glaring example in your engine building career of something that you thought might be a great idea and it wasn't? No, I can't think of any. Uh, <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, no, I can't. Uh, no. I think one of the biggest reasons that I can't think of any failures is because I had the greatest people uh, tutoring me growing up and the great people working for me in the shop. I mean, I had Vic Edelbrock Sr., I had Junior, I had Bobby Meeks, Don Toll, I had Chickie Hiroshima, 
you know, I, I, and I worked with Eddie Meyer. And I had Eddie Meyer and Bud Meyer. So I'd like to say I did this, but I can't really say that because I, I, the biggest thing I can say I did this is I had great people supporting me, making sure I didn't screw up. That makes a lot of sense. Keith, any final questions for Mr. Ed Pink? Now, my, my, my question there is, Ed, keep going. It's not even a question. It's just a statement. Keep going. I appreciate you you're taking the time out of your busy day to do this for us uh, and, and to talk with us. It's always, always an honor uh, you know, to speak with you, and I thank you again, my friend. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Oh, yes. And, and finally, a, a bit of advice. For the next generation, uh, we like to think that there are some, uh, you know, younger folks listening to this podcast who uh, they want to make their living in high performance and they are looking for advice and, and a way to get a leg up on the competition who's not listening to Hidden Horsepower. Do you have anything you'd want to say to those folks out there? I would say for anybody that, that wants to get into this business and they want to be an engine builder, just be dedicated to what you do. Never accept that's good enough. If you're going to do it, be the best you can be. And be true to what you want to do. Don't strip any nuts. <laughs> yes. We'll try. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. Uh, Ed, thank you very much. And, and I would also imagine that uh, a lot of the people that you've interacted with over the years might check out this this podcast at some point. And we okay. talked about your career arc. Is there anything, you know, you, you got an opportunity to talk to a lot of people at one time right now. And uh, is there anything you'd want to say? You, you've already mentioned you've been able to work directly with the greatest of the greats along the way. Um, but, you know, is there any thought that you'd want to put to cap it all off the career that you've had? No, you know, the thing is, I appreciate the people that I've been involved with. I've had a great time. I started when I was about 16 years old. I worked for Lou Bainey at his uh, Golden Eagle speech shop gas station in like 19... 48, 49, and here we are, 2020, and I'm 89 years old, and I'm just as pumped up as I ever have been on on engines. So, Super exciting. Such a great example. Ed, thank you so much for joining us on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. Uh, Just a, a, a great conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time for us. Thank you very much, and I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ed. I really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Uh, be safe out there. And, and like you say, just, again, thank you so much. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. Mr. Ed Pink with us here on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. Keith, that was awesome. Yeah, it, it certainly was. It's, uh, you know, like we said during the podcast, you know, we could spend literally days picking Ed's brain, guys like him that have been around this for so long and, you know, people that, you know, you and I think of as legends to him. Hey, that's just a customer. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing that, you know, the, the stories guys like him have. And I just, I love talking to him. Yeah, the, uh, it's just so many different angles. And it's very challenging to extract, like, whatever you're going to get. Because the guy has got so many amazing stories. Just coming up in, in Los Angeles, like, being in that part of the country when everything was popping with motorsports and uh Like people were, it was all new. Everything was new, brand new. He's the old master and he's in his 30s. That tells you everything you need to know. Think about what other things in our life, like the American life, was really all young people just driving it. And uh, he did some great things, obviously. And as he said, he kept moving into new arenas within engine building drag racing ended pretty much 1980 then he got into IndyCar stuff and then the midget stuff it just uh really amazing how he's been able to stay interested and relevant 89 years old uh just tremendous this has been one of my favorites as as is well mine it's it like i say what a what a storied career to just keep reinventing yourself every time you rose to the challenge and then what's the next challenge and then on to the next thing i mean that's you know, not a lot of us can say that. And, and like you say, he is 
He is now the old master, but even back when he was in his 30s, he was the old master then as well. So we've got some people out there listening right now that are trying to become a master themselves, or at very least uh, live up to what Ed just said, which is uh, be as good as you can possibly be and have uh, just okay, never be good enough. Uh, They are working on their engine projects. They certainly have some free time to do it. And uh, I know you guys at Total Seal are really trying to be helpful to those uh, those people putting together their own engines. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a different time frame out there right now. And, and, and we welcome the calls. I'm getting lots and lots of responses about the podcast. Uh, all positive. Thank you. And, and guys reaching out to me, asking questions. We've got a lot of guys diving into projects, uh, myself included. I've got some things on the 20-year-long honeydew list. It's like, you know, I, I think I can probably finally get to that. And I've got a tremendous amount of people diving into all kinds of projects out there from you know old restoration stuff to old antique tractors to old dirt bikes. I mean, you name it. It's amazing that, you know, the, the, the stuff that I'm being asked for for rings and what should we do and how should we do it. So please feel free. You got a question, you're looking for a ring for something that's a little off the wall, not your everyday uh, thing. You can't find rings for your CZ motorcycle in, the, in a book anywhere. Call us. We can certainly help you out. Uh, you can reach us on the web, totalseal.com. You can email me, keithj at totalseal.com, or feel free to call us, 800-874-2753. We would gladly talk to you guys. Love to hear from you. And if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, you think it would be interesting to other people out there, by all means, use the social media channels, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, or otherwise, to send the question. You could just email it to Keith, I'm sure. Keith, you're getting a collection of those questions. We have engine builders out there who uh, maybe have a piece of info that they think would be great for sharing, and we'll use it in our next Frequently Asked Questions episode, which I was just listening to the other day, Keith. And I thought it was some of uh, some of your best work, just really expanding the thought process for someone like me who is not an engine builder, but I can use this knowledge in my day job working at the National Hot Rod Association or my own WFO radio podcast. Having this understanding is very helpful. And so you're broadening the mind of a lot of people out there. And it could be someone with an LS engine that they're doing a rebuild and they're thinking like, should I try? Should I try something? And the answer is, yeah, you could try something. So send those questions to either Keith or the social media channels. Now, I didn't I didn't tell Ed, though, Keith, that you had never had a Pink's hot dog. I should have. <laughs> I should have told him that. Yeah, it was... It, it, well, like you say, we created an opportunity because if, if we can get there, like you say, we get to the Auto Club Nationals, we can go there and get you know the VIP treatment. Uh, so I, I love that. It was, uh, it was uh, like you say, as many times I've been over there and I've stood in that line and I just couldn't do it. Uh, I look forward to having that dog, especially with you and with Ed. Well, there you go. Pinks with Ed Pink. That would be great. Keith, thank you very much. Great job as usual. Thank you once again, my friend. Thank you, Joe. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales with Total Seal Piston Rings, TotalSeal.com. My name is Joe Costello, at WFO Joe on Twitter. Also do the WFO Radio Podcast. This is Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Write us a review, rate us if you like, if you're enjoying the show. And remember, there are many episodes that you might not have heard. Go back into the archive and check them out. We see those numbers, they're growing every day, every week. People checking out a little Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much.